Well, welcome. Good morning. This is the fourth message, if you include the prologue, but actually chapter three in our series of the epic story. Last week, we're privileged to have uh, Dr. Leroy Lawson with us. I hope you really enjoyed him. He's a, a great um, part of our family, but also a great communicator. I thought he did an awesome job sharing with you. And by the way, I want to say thank you to all of you on behalf of my wife, Julie, and I. Last week was just a phenomenal day as we celebrated our 20th anniversary with the church. A lot of beautiful notes and um, a lot of you stopped by to say hi, and we just appreciate you welcoming us, putting up with close to 500 sermons that I preached in this church, and uh, you've hung in there with me and uh, watched me grow. So thank you so much on behalf of our family. And I also want to share with you that this afternoon, we're having a reception for our son and his new wife, Mrs. Rondi, uh, Corinne Toy, and they will be having a reception in the Peak View Room this afternoon. We'd love to have you stop by and just say hi and congratulate the new couple on their commitment. And really, that fits right in with today's topic of covenant. Now, week one was on creation, that God made everything, and more specifically, Jesus made everything. It was made by him and for him, so we belong to Jesus. But last week, we learned the story of corruption, that sin entered the picture. Adam and Eve listened to the serpent, who manipulated God's command to them, and they disobeyed, and because of that, suffered the consequences. They believed the lie, and they had to die, and death entered every part of their life, from the relationship with each other, to the relationship with the land, to their relationship with God. No longer could they hear the footsteps of God in the garden. Um, it also affected their bodies. They didn't die physically immediately, but the sentence of death began to wear to one day their spirit would be separated from their body. Death would, would enter the picture. You and, I, you and I have all followed that same pattern. You know, last Saturday, something really weird happened to me. I started feeling this itch on my lip, and uh, as the day went on, my lip started to swell. And it wasn't swell, because uh, there was a wedding going on. And by the time of the wedding, it looked like my wife had just given me a right sucker punch for some reason, and I had this fat lip all through the wedding, and, and you know, I couldn't get rid of it. I'd take Benadryl and stuff, but it didn't react quick enough. And it reminds me of the journey of sin in our lives, that, that we get this itch, an itch to do something, itch to check into something, to dabble with something, and pretty soon before we know it, it's blown out of control, and we can't get rid of it. We can't get rid of this thing called sin in our life. And so God intervened, and while he brought judgment on sin with the flood and with Noah, there was, there was a ray of hope. And we're going to look, look at that today in Genesis chapter 9. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to Genesis chapter 9. We're going to read there a, a beautiful thing that God had, had done to Noah and to the rest of mankind, something that you and I enjoy every time there's a rainstorm outside. So before we actually open up his word, would you pray with me? Father, as we open up your word, we pray that you'd speak to us, Lord, of your great love, of your mercy in the midst of our sin, how you love us and how you still reach out to win our hearts back to you. So Father, I pray that our hearts would be yielded to you today, that just like this man who just said yes to you, Lord, that we would say yes to your promptings through your Holy Spirit on our heart. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to pick up the story just after the flood. It's in um, Genesis chapter 9. I'm going to start with verse 12. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you. And this is like after the flood. With me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all of life on the earth. 
First, first example of God entering into a covenant, a covenant, a, a promise that God has made people. And we all see that, even though we don't know it's a covenant, when we see a rainbow in the sky. It's God's smile to us to say, I'm not going to destroy the earth ever again. I brought judgment on sin. I wiped out everything except for one family and a, and a few animals. I'm not going to do that again. It's my sign, of my, my promise, my everlasting promise to you. So we're introduced to this subject of, of covenant. We're going to see that in all covenants, there's this thread of grace, of God giving us something we don't deserve. And in all of God's covenants, they, they lead toward this direction, that God's promises are expressed so that all nations are blessed. And it begins right here, the covenant with Noah, but it goes on to other covenants. Now, we may not use the word covenant a lot in our vocabulary, but some of you understand what it is because you live in a neighborhood that has a homeowners association, and very likely you sign a covenant, an agreement, covenants you love, right? Yes. What color of paint on your house, how long your grass can be, where you park your cars, what do you do with your trash, all these things are laid out in this covenant. When nations have covenants, they're called treaties or pacts, and we see covenants all around us. But I think the best example of covenant in our culture is a covenant of marriage. When a man and woman stand before witnesses and they, they make a pledge to each other and they covenant together. There's a sign of that covenant. I'm wearing mine right here. It's a wedding ring. It reminds me of the promises that I made 28 plus years ago to my wife. And so last week when we had this wedding, we're reminded of, of this covenant. In fact, what was so beautiful about this covenant that we witnessed last week is, is my son standing there and he's speaking his own vows to his bride. And we're in the front row listening to these and all of a sudden my wife's getting all teary-eyed, I'm getting kind of choked up and, and uh, he's saying to his bride that I commit to being the best husband I can be for you. And I promise to be a father to your little boy, Aiden to be the best dad I can be for him. And I look over my daughter, Stephanie, who's a couple seats down from me. She's got tears coming down her cheeks. We find out later what was so impactful for her was she said it took her back 28 years ago when I committed in marriage to Julie, who at that time had a little girl who was three years old. And she said, that's what my dad did for me. It was a promise. And, and a covenant is a promise to a relationship. That's why it's different than a contract. In a contract, you have two parties who are really making decisions about property and possession. So you have an athlete, for example, who says, I'm going to hold out to get a better contract. He says, I'm not going to play for my football team until I get a better contract. His loyalty to the team takes second seat to his desire for more money. And that's just business. That's just the way it is in sports. I need that contract. If you won't pay that, I'll go to another team. Okay? That's my commitment to you. I'm committed to my worth. And you owe it to me. And when you sign a contract to have a house built, you hold the other party to it. You don't, you don't enter into it because you love the contractor and you hope to have a relationship with the contractor ever after. You say, you get that job done the way it's written here. And if you don't, I'll fire you and get someone else. Get it done. That's because it's about property and possessions. But in a covenant, it's about a relationship. And not only that, it's not about what you owe me. It's about what I promise to do for you. So in a covenant, like a marriage, the focus, my focus is what I'm bringing to the table in this relationship. 
I promise to love you for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. That's my commitment to you. I don't think we go into a marriage, at least I hope you don't, going, what are you going to do for me? You better do that. I'm going to hold you to it. And if you don't, you're out. You know, covenant is very relational. And so all the covenants in Scripture, there are some covenants between people. We're not going to look at those. We're going to look at the covenants that God initiates with man. Because God always is the initiator of his covenants. Now, another word for covenant is a Latin word from which we get testament. And now you know why we have two big portions of the Bible called the Old Testament or Covenant, the New Testament or Covenant. Sounds like that's an important word to understanding the epic story. It really is. This is, this is probably the hardest message to present. Uh, it was the hardest sermon to prepare for, maybe the hardest one for you to comprehend. Because what we're going to try to do is bring all this idea of covenant, which is woven all through Scripture, uh, to try to make it understandable to us. Because it is, it is really the linchpin to all of Scripture. And if you understand this, you'll understand the kind of relationship God wants to have with you and the kind of commitment he has to you. Because in the Old Testament, there's a word that's often connected with covenant. It's a Hebrew word, chesed. It's used about 250 times. And we've translated it in a number of different ways. Mercy, loving kindness, steadfast loyalty. All those speak of what God brings to the table in the covenant. And get this, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. So here's, a, here's kind of a simple definition of a covenant. It's a binding agreement entered into by two or more parties based on promises, privileges, and responsibilities. It's a relationship. It's often accompanied by a sign and celebrated with a meal. Sometimes there's even a, a blood sacrifice involved in it. In fact, most cultures, if you go back in time, you'll find that when people entered into covenants, there was a shedding of blood involved. Sometimes the sacrifice of an animal. When I was a little boy and I wanted to have a best friend, we had this little ritual called uh, becoming blood brothers. We would take a pin, poke ourselves, and draw blood, and they would do that, and then we'd put our fingers together, and we'd go like this, and we'd mix our blood. Anybody else do that? See? It's all over the place. Blood covenant. It says, I am, I am committing to this with, with, with my blood, saying, I would die for you. I would die for you. I am committed deeply to this relationship. And so in the Old Testament, there is one major covenant. There's some other sub-covenants, but the major covenant is the one God made with a man named Abraham, or we'll find out at first, his name was Abram. We meet him in Genesis chapter 11. He's the son of Terah. Terah is from a place called the Ur of the Chaldeans. He has three sons, and one of the things you need to know about Terah, and we're told this in Joshua 24, is Terah worshipped other gods. He was not a follower of the god of Adam and Eve and Noah. He's, at, he's fallen, already people are worshipping false gods. And he's, his da, Abram's dad's worshipping these false gods. But God says, I want you, I want, one of your sons comes from this ungodly family. I want that boy to be the one that I will make a covenant with that will have a ripple effect through the rest of history. And so in Genesis chapter 12, God says, to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All through here, bless, blessed, blessing, 
God wants to bless. What was, what was lost in the garden of Adam and Eve, remember God made Adam and Eve and blessed them? Then they lost the blessing through sin. God said, I want to bless them back. Here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to begin this whole process through this man named Abram. Abram. Now, Abram or Abraham is a very critical person to our faith. He's actually a very critical person to all three of the major faiths on this planet. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all trace their roots back to Abram. Only Christianity accepts Jesus as a son of God, which is why Christianity is, is different than all other religions, because, because of our focus on Jesus being God in the flesh. Now, we have a class that our missions team is, is offering starting next week. It's, it's a class called Muslims, Christians, and Jesus, because we're hearing more and more about Muslims in our culture, and, and yet many of us are getting our perception of them from the terrorists and the extremists and, and the evening news. And there are a lot of sincere, good-hearted people who are following that. And God wants us to bring them to Jesus. And in order to bring them to Jesus, you need to understand them in a better way. And this class will help you do it. It's just four weeks. It starts next week at the 1130 hour. You can come to this service, go right to that class. I think it would be fantastic if you do that. Mark Fisher has a table in the foyer, um, and you can sign up there. But mark this, this email address. You can just send him a note at disciple at yestogod.org. Pastor Bill will pass all those on to Mark, and, and he'll sign you up for the class. But God, God loves Abram and is going to do some fantastic things through him. He's going to cause him to become great, his family will be great. He'll have a nation that'll be great. And God has a special plan for this nation because through this nation, God is going to bless all the peoples of the earth. So this blessing is broad. The blessing is broad. It's to all the people. If you remember from the prologue several weeks ago, I said there is one overarching plot to scripture, and it's this. It's the redemption of all men and the glory of God. God wants all men to be saved so that he can be exalted for who he is, the one true living God. And so God's after that. That's what this covenant is about. God wants us to see that happen. So he chooses Abram, and we don't exactly know why he chose him, but it might be because of how Abram responded. He doesn't know, by the way, where God's taking him. God doesn't say, here's this place, here's what it looks like, here's what I'll do with you when you're there. He just says, leave behind all the stuff that you're comfortable with, all the stuff you've grown up with, all your family, all that. You're going to leave. Now, today we're pretty mobile. It's not as big a deal to leave, but can you imagine in that culture where um, their world is so small, it's so concentrated, and their roots are so deep. And this guy is 75 years old. And they don't have MapQuest to see where they're going. He doesn't have a travel brochure to say, hey, when you get there, here's what it looks like. It's a pretty good place. God just says, pick up and go, and I'll show you when you get there. So here's what happened. Genesis 12, 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. That's faith. Get up and go. God, you said it. Yes, God. <laughs> That's why our mission is just say yes to God. Wherever God's leading you, simply say yes Abraham did that, and God blessed him because of that. There's a problem, though. God wants to bless Abraham, wants him to become great, wants his family to become great, and some big blessing to come through his family, but Abraham doesn't have any kids. He says, God, how is this going to happen? I don't even have a child. I'm getting old. I'm 75 years old, and and over the next 14 years, as he walks with God, actually the next 24 years, excuse me, 
He's 99 years old. God gives him this covenant of circumcision. It's the sign of the covenant. Here's how to mark you as different from all other people. All your boys, eight days of age, have to be circumcised. Now, I'm not going to explain all that is because you guys know what that is. But you need to know this. As, as men got older and would be intimate with their wives to give birth to a child or bring a child into the world, they would be reminded, I am different from those people out there because I belong to God and I have a, a marking on my body that separates me from other people. It makes me distinct from them. At that time, God makes a promise. Your wife, Sarah, who's 90 years old, who's never had a child her whole life, she will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Isaac. Isaac means he laughed. Because when he told his wife, they laughed. Men at 99 don't have the ability to produce children, and women that are 90 don't have children. But there must have been a little smirk on his face saying, we better get busy. God needs us to do something to make this happen. And so uh, over the course of time, she has a baby. And they love this little guy named Isaac, and they just adore him. And I can just imagine this dad. I know the feeling as a, a father. He loves this little boy and, and, and plays with him and loves him and hugs him and kisses on him. And then God says the ultimate test. Genesis 22, 2. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. And go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice and there is a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. God, what? God, what? You know, I wish the scriptures wove in there the emotions and what was going on, because I can't imagine as a dad being told that, and the fight. And yet, Abraham is a man of faith. And actually, we learn in the book of Hebrews that he actually had the faith that if God... If if God had power to cause a miraculous birth, God would have power to raise this boy from the dead if he sacrificed him. He loads up his donkey with wood, takes his son, they head up the mountain. As he gets closer to the mountain, the son says, Hey, Dad, we've got the wood. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says to his son, God will provide. Gets to the top of the mountain, builds this altar, lays the wood across it, takes his son. I imagine... The Bible doesn't say this, but imagine he had to say, Son, you are the sacrifice he's provided. God has asked for you back. Place him on the altar, ties him down. Takes the knife out, ready to slay his son in obedience to God's command. And the angel of the Lord says, Stop! You passed the test. You've proven your faithfulness to God in the covenant you've entered into with him. And just then he hears some rustling in the thicket and there's a ram caught. Takes that ram, places it on the altar, sacrifices him to the Lord. The saying developed at that time, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Very prophetic. Because it's believed on that same mountain, centuries later, God would provide a lamb that would be sacrificed on a cross. So because God trusted Abram, he confirms his covenant with him. Now, the covenant is broad. It's to all people, but it's also narrow. And then it goes from Abraham through Isaac through Jacob, who God then renames Israel, who has many sons who become leaders of tribes, the tribes of Israel. And in that family of tribes is one called Judah. And in the family line of Judah comes a man named Jesse. Jesse has a son. 
who is to be king. His name is David. And you know David, he's the one that slew Goliath. And David becomes the greatest king Israel ever knew. God makes covenant. And this, and this blessing flows through this narrow line of the, 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 the nation of Israel through the line of David. Let me back up a little bit because I missed something very critical. When Israel was uh, developed as a nation and, and God said, you'll be as numerous as stars in the sky and, and sand on the seashore, that's what happened. They multiplied. And when they are in Egypt, they get taken into captivity. There's, there's thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people now that exist. And yet they're in bondage. And God raises up Moses to be their deliverer. God makes a covenant with Moses. In that covenant, God reminds them who they are, their unique identity. So this is a, the mo, called the Mosaic Covenant, kind of a sub-covenant underneath it. It's found in Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He says that this family of Israel will become very special. The blessings that have flowed through this one family of all the nations on earth you are the special one. You are the chosen one. And you're chosen not just to be recipients of a blessing, but you are to be the, the channel of a blessing. And so he says, here's how it's going to happen. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. A priest is someone who stands between God and men. You are going to be the ones that stand between the world's um, nations and God. You are to be the ones who introduce them, to be a witness. You will have such a special relationship with God. God will be present in such a real way among you that other nations will look to you and say, How do, who is that God? Tell us about this God you worship. You'll be devoted. You'll be a kingdom. You'll be the, the witnesses to the nation. You'll be a light to the Gentiles. He says you'll be a holy nation. God gives them Ten Commandments and other laws and says you're going to be different than everybody else. They run after sin. They're wild. They live in lust. You're going to be devoted. You're going to be devoted to me as the one true God. You're going to be devoted to your parents, to your spouses. You're not going to lie. You're not going to kill. You're not going to steal. You're not going to envy. You're going to be different than other people. You're going to be a holy nation. Holy means set apart, different, unique. That's how you're to live. Now, we'll learn next week, they didn't do too good in either of those categories, being a priest to the nations or, or being a holy nation. They kept stumbling. In fact, what was so sad is how the nation of Israel rather than win over the nations, became like the nations. They began to worship their gods rather than the one true God who had revealed himself to them. But in the midst of this family of Israel comes this royal line of David. The royal line of David. And the blessing is flowing through this royal line. And in um, 1 Chronicles chapter 17, 11 and 12, God makes this promise to David. When your days are over and you go to be with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. Now, there's an immediate fulfillment in that Solomon came and built this temple for the Lord. But he's speaking of a greater son that is to come and a greater house, household, that is to be built. And that son is Jesus Christ. Because along the way, through this line of David, comes a boy named Joseph, who is pledged to be married to a woman named Mary, 
who claimed that she had received this vision from an angel that she was to give birth to a child and she was to name him Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. And so we have this promise going through a nation, through a family, through of, of David, all the way down to this one man, one person, Jesus Christ. And that's what's clarified even in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, Jesus Christ. The, the covenant is, is narrowed down to coming right through this one person, Jesus Christ. All of God's blessings flow through this one person, Jesus. In the Old Testament, God says that his people kept failing him, kept uh, falling short of living up to the covenant he had entered into with them. And he says, you know, a day's coming. And I'm going to do something different. A day's coming when I'm going to change all this. What you are unable to do, I will do for you. And so we learn about that in Hebrews 8, where God says, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God. And they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. What they were unable to do, to live up to the standards of the commandments and the mission God gave them, God says, I'm going to change you. Because you can never measure up to that. You're not good enough. You're not capable. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come and give you a new heart. Give you a new mind. I will be your God. I will remember your sins and your wickedness no more. Notice, I will, I will, I will. God's covenant promise of what he brings to the table. Not to people who deserve it, really to people who forfeited it. And yet God says, that is my commitment to the ones I have made. And so we come to Jesus, the focus of all God's blessings. On the night before he went to the cross, he's sharing this Passover meal with his disciples. And he takes this meal, these two emblems of the meal, the bread and the cup. And Jesus does this. Matthew chapter 26. While they were eating, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross, and in his blood, the signature of his blood, and that a new covenant. And in that new covenant, he says, I will forgive all of your sins, all the wickedness of the past, all of your disobedience, all of your rebellion, I will forgive. Remember at the beginning I said, oftentimes covenants were celebrated with a meal and a sign? This is the covenant meal. This is why believers all over the world every week gather together, break bread, take juice, in remembrance of him. And by the way, the word remembrance in the Bible does not mean make note of. It doesn't mean just like, like when you go to the store, remember to get milk. Oh, yeah, 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 I'll make a note of that. Remember means to reenact, relive, re-experience. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember again why I did this, that this was for you. I did this for you. There's a covenant sign we won't take time to read this, but Colossians chapter 2 says, 
We don't practice circumcision in the body of Christ. We practice baptism, the spiritual circumcision of the heart, where it symbolizes our sins being washed away and our forgiveness before the Lord. Now, not everybody agrees with, with, with my interpretation of the covenants. And I know there's a lot of debate in, in theological circles about how these covenants all fit together. There, there's a lot of people who believe the primary focus of Abraham's covenant was for Israel and, and inheriting a piece of land. But, but know this, Hebrews 11 says, that was not a big deal to Abraham because Abraham looked forward to a heavenly city whose architect and builder was God. He was not focused on a tract of land on this earth. He was focused on something much greater. God's blessings in his covenant are far greater than any earthly blessings we could imagine. God has so much in store for us. And, and at the core of this promise is the, is the blessings flow to all the nations. And so in Galatians, when Paul interprets the Abrahamic covenant, he says, if you go back and look, this is really the first statement of the gospel. Listen to, Gal- listen to Galatians 3. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. That anybody who doesn't have the DNA of Abraham can be linked to Abraham through having faith like Abraham. Do you understand that when God made the promise to Abraham, he was looking through the lens of history saying, I'm looking to the people right here. He's looking to me. He's looking to you. He's looking to your children saying, they are included in this covenant. This is who it's for. I want to bless the whole world. I want to bless people from every tribe, tongue, and language. I want to bless people who are different from you, different color skin than you, live in different places than you, different customs than you. I love the people of Tanzania and Namibia and Azerbaijan and Indonesia. And so not only is this for you, it's for the people around you. Don't keep it to yourself. Invest in missionaries. Be active sharing your faith. I want all nations to be blessed so my name would be great upon the earth and everyone would give me glory. That's what God's plan is. And he did this through Abraham. And in a sense, here's a simple way to look at it. This, the, the two funnels, and if you flip them around, here's what it looks like. This promise starts big with Israel, gets narrower through David, goes all the way down to Jesus, and then once it's to Jesus, it explodes. You read through the book of Acts, and people, uh, tens of thousands, are coming to know Christ, and it's been growing ever since then. That's God's plan. That's what God wants to do. God made plans to bless you long before you were born, and the blessings I received through faith in Jesus. Now, I don't have time to go through all the blessings, but let me just tell you this. There's a ton of them for you. Ephesians chapter 1. Listen to this. This is so cool. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Where are the blessings found? In Christ. That's why we we keep coming back every week. This, This story, this epic story is about Jesus it all goes back to Jesus and your relationship with him. And when you get yourself properly connected to his story, you find that you have a better story. There's a legend told of father who had one son. His son was killed in Vietnam. One of his comrades came to the grieving father and brought him a painting that he had made of the son. It wasn't a great painting, but it was very personal. And so this father kept this painting among the many paintings in his collection in a prominent place. Whenever people came to his house, he would point out that painting first. And the reason he did is because he would say, that's my son. And you know what my son did? My son gave his life for other men on the battlefield. Months later, this father died, and there was an auction for all of his paintings. 
And at this auction, the very first painting to be auctioned was the painting of his son. Now, people weren't that interested in it because it really wasn't the highest quality work and the most famous, and so the, the bids are really low. In fact, in fact, the, the guy who won the bid got it for, for just dollars. But after that, that bid was finalized, the auctioneer slammed his gavel down and said, the auction is over. According to the agreement by the owner of this collection, whoever bought the painting of his son gets all of it. This collection worth millions of dollars goes to him. Whoever has the son has it all. And in that picture is the gospel message that when you have Jesus, you have it all. It's not about religion. It's not about rituals. It's about Jesus. That God sent the Lamb of God to die as a sacrifice for your sins. The one who shed his blood so that we could have a covenant with him. You didn't make up the covenant. He did. And your only choice is to accept it or reject it. You'd be a fool to reject it. This love shown by a father, a heavenly father says, I love you with an everlasting love. Here's what I've done for you. Well, you can simply respond. And that's why when we respond, it's, it's really just an act of surrender. It's not an act of proving we're worth it. It's just like, like the man today who was just surrendered and baptized. I give myself to you, God. Have you ever done that? You ever just surrendered your life to Jesus? I'm just telling you, that's the source of all the blessings. And so I want to pray for you right now. And maybe if you're in this room today, this is where you are. You need to surrender your heart. And by the way, for the rest of us who've already done that, here's your challenge. We are the agents. We are the holy nation that God is now using to share this message with everybody else around us. Don't go and keep this to yourself. You've got neighbors who need to know. You've got relatives who need to know. You've got missionaries that need to be supported around the world who are trying to tell as many people as possible this message. That's what the epic story is about, that all nations would be blessed and God would be glorified for who he is. So, Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you for this covenant, this promise of a relationship with you, Lord. And I pray for any man or woman young or old in this room, no matter if they missed the opportunity years ago, but today, Father, they would surrender their heart to you. Father, we don't deserve it, but we receive your love. We receive your faithfulness. We believe in Jesus. We believe that he died for our sins, rose from the dead. And we want to enter into that covenant, Father, and live as people who are loved and live in such a way that people would know that you are our God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, thanks for watching and listening online today. We really hope that as we continue this journey through the epic story, that you learn that the Bible is more than just a collection of tales and stories, but it's actually one continuous narrative about the person of Jesus Christ. And we hope that you can learn how you fit within that story and what your life means in the context of Scripture. If you've made a decision today based on today's message, whether it's you just need some prayer or uh, you want to get baptized or you just have a question or maybe you want to meet Jesus for the first time in your life, then we want to be able to pray for you and walk through that journey with you. So there's a couple of ways that you can do this. One, you can download our app. It's free from the iTunes and Google Play app store. Just search for Pikes Peak Christian Church. Then just click the prayer request button 
and fill that out and let us know how we can pray for you. And if you would like us to contact you, we'd be happy to do that as well. You can also go onto our website at pikespeakchristian.org and contact us there. Again, let us walk through this journey with you. While you're on the app or the website, if you'd like, you can check out upcoming events that are happening at the church and ways that you can connect. And if you'd like to support the ministry of Pikes Peak Christian Church, you can give online there as well. Well, we hope to see you back next week. I hope that you tune in for the next installment of the Epic Story series. Thank you so much, and God bless.